I think coming in the, the doors of the church on Monday, man, I just felt weary uh, and just beat. Um, some of it was just physically feeling weary and beat. Um, we had uh, we used some of our, our tax return to buy some laminate flooring from Sam's. It finally went on sale, so we bought it. And we, uh, Friday and Saturday of last week, we ripped out carpet out of our living room in a hallway and put, I put down laminate with Kelly's help in most of that. We've almost finished all of it last weekend. But I, I just I expended myself more than I normally do. I, I don't work. A lot of times I work sitting you know, at a desk making phone calls, visiting people. So I was just exhausted Monday and then Sunday. Sunday was a long Sunday. And I just came in. I was just, I think, physically tired. But then I was just discouraged. I don't know. Just sometimes um, you'll ask pastors. Mondays are just discouraged. You just, they just, often we feel a weight on Mondays after the whole weekend, the whole week. And um, just felt was feeling that. And um, just tired. And then I came to this passage, and I knew I would be studying and spending time in it, and some words of encouragement that I've read over and over and over before, and memorized and, and thought through. And remind, finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his mind. I know that's what I needed to hear. And it was an encouraging word for me, and hopefully, an encouraging word for you. I know some of you were hoping this morning maybe I would come out. We have the armor of God, that maybe I'd have a Roman outfit on. You were hoping the helmet would come out and the, the cardboard um, shield or breastplate of righteousness. I don't have those. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know. What's wrong with me? I know. You can put a comment. We have little cards. You can comment about that. So. Uh, but Paul here, he's getting to the end of this letter, and he's taught the church all of these things, all of these truths about who they are in Christ, and that they have this new life in him, and that they're this new community united together and calls them to unity. And he calls them also then, in light of all these things, to throw off sin, put on newness, and walk as children of the light. And he, he instructs them in that, and then he instructs how the gospel, now as they, they're new in Christ, how it impacts in fact, probably as well, impacts families and marriages and all relationships. And there to be those whose life demonstrate the gospel. And as he writes these things, he knows this, if they faithfully walk in them, there's going to be some battles to come. It's an act of spiritual warfare, and, and Satan isn't, isn't going to just sit by. And I can just imagine him, as Paul writes, he's like, I need to encourage them that they need to press on. Um, in the gospel. So we'll see these things as we, we get to verse 10 here. And he begins out by just telling them, reminding them to be strong, not in themselves, but be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Jesus and his strong might. So that's what we see first, the instruction to be strong in Jesus, his strong might. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we have strong strength and might. Paul's making it clear. Hey, you can be strong. You can stand strong. And it's not in your own strength, um, but it's in the Lord. And I, I know for me, when I see my, rec- my weakness, um, when I'm in need, I find these verses very comforting to know that I'm called to be strong. And it's not in my own strength, but in his Strength, And I want to hear that. Those are words that I want to hear. I don't want to hear words that say, hey, just kind of muster up some kind of inner strength. I'd be like, man, it's not there. That is not helpful. But to be told, be strong and strong in Christ. There's a 
something wonderful in that because we know our weaknesses when we're honest and we know that we need something greater than ourselves. We need Jesus. And this isn't the first time in Ephesians that Paul has even pointed to our strength in the Lord. He's even prayed for it twice for the church and their prayers that, that we should pray for one another. And let's review that as, as we go through today. We're going to do a lot of review in Ephesians. And I initially intended to wrap up Ephesians today. We're not going to wrap it up today, but, but the next time it, we're going to wrap it up and we're going to get through it because this would have been a really long sermon. Otherwise, it's going to be probably too long as it is. So I better get going. So Ephesians. So Paul, power, strength, and he prays for this. Ephesians 1. If you have your Bible, you can look at that. Ephesians 1, 16 through 23. Prayers that Paul prays in Ephesians. And you can hear a prayer for strength. I do, not cease to give, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope, first he prays for hope, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, that you might, we might know what those are, and that what, are, what is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believes according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Now we're going to see in a little bit, we already read it, but he said that the things that are going to come against us as rulers and authorities here, it says that Christ, he's over all of them. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put them all, put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we have this strong prayer that Paul wants us to be able to grow in our knowledge of, all the, of our hope, of our inheritance and the, the strength that we have. And what kind of power and strength do we have? It's that resurrection power of Christ that works in us. And he prays that we would know that. And then Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, right in the middle, as he begins to instruct, and he tells all these truths. And then the second part of Ephesians, if you remember how these truths apply to our life. And he prays this for the church. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through this, his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may, be, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the full, all the fullness of God. So you hear that this, this strong prayer that we be strengthened with power, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in us more and more. So this strong prayer that our strength is from, not from within, but the Holy Spirit moving within us. And then 2 Timothy 2, 1. So we're going to jump out of Ephesians, go to, to 2 Timothy, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he says to Timothy about the strength, and he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To be strengthened by what? By the grace of our God, by the grace of Jesus Christ. Be strengthened by that. By, so strengthened by the resurrection power of our God. Be strengthened by his grace that he lavishly pours out upon us that Paul speaks about. And then Paul, 
Also, he knows about the strengthening. One of my favorite passages and verses is in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul, he talks about how he had these um, thorns in the flesh, if you remember. We don't know what they were. Um, I think they probably were some physical kind of ailment. I don't know. Um, there's all sorts of ideas, ideas, but he had these painful things in his life, and, and he prays to God to remove them. God doesn't remove them, but God says this to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What a flip-flop. <laughs> my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. So I'm going to boast. If weakness comes, that just means that the power of Christ can rest in me and I can rest in him. That's going to shine forth. And it says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Strong not in himself, but in Christ. It gives us opportunity um, when we walk through valleys to know the strength of Christ working in us. So we're not alone in this life when we walk with Jesus. We're not alone when we walk through storms and trials. When we walk through joys, but also those low, low valleys, we're not alone. Through victories and discouragement, the Lord is with us. We're called not to battle alone. Um, even Not even in our own strength, because our own strength just fails us. But our, we're sufficient in the strength of Christ when we battle with him and walk this life with him. So he begins with that, just that strong statement. And then that call, what are they looking to? To be able to stand firm. So there's this call to stand firm when, when Satan's attacks come. So that would be the next one there, Anthony. Um, stand, stand firm. Stand firm when Satan's attacks come. So let me just read those verses 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So there's this call, especially in Ephesians 13, looking at there, are 6 verse 13, to stand firm. A call to stand. He says stand three times, to stand, and then to stand firm. And then in verse 14 as well, stand therefore. So there's this call to stand when there's attacks that come from, um, from Satan, the schemes of the devil, a call to stand. At first he says withstand in verse 13. He says withstand. That's to resist um, as the attack comes, to resist all the schemes of the devil who wants to discourage, who wants to bring doubt, who wants to pull us away from walking with Christ and to lead us into really to, into destructive ways. But we're called to stand firm, to stand firm in our faith and our walk with Jesus. A, a picture of standing firm, this is one from the Old Testament, uh, from 2 Samuel 23.10 where it describes all the, the mighty men of David, of King David. He had all these mighty men around him. He was, before Marvel, he was, he was kind of the superhero. That, that's how I picture a bit of these mighty men. Uh, but it spoke of Eleazar. This is just one of the stories. Eleazar in 2, 2 Samuel 
He rose, Eliezer, he rose and struck down the Philistine until his hands were weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day. So you can just see him just battling. It's just so long. He could just barely open his hand off that sword. Yeah, a bit of a, like, we've been watching a few Marvel movies recently. And they just, you know, I don't know. Just that picture, standing firm and pushing back the attack of Satan. Look, going back again, we're going to see that, to the truth of God's word. And as we see, um, it just describes all of these rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over the present darkness and spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And some ways, there's some ways in our culture where um, we, we kind of reject that. But God's creation is more than just a physical world, but there's a spiritual reality. And again, culturally, in some ways, we, we reject, oh, there's, there really isn't a spiritual world. But at the same time, our culture is infatuated with the spiritual world. So it's this kind of this... this um, dissonance there with these two things Um, because we have infatuation with with spiritual things and unexplained things and angels and crystals and even places of power that are in different places where you supposedly can go and and experience different points of power in maybe in Arizona and places even I was in Sierra trading post in Sierra and Fort Collins and and standing in line in the the cashiers they were talking about visiting these places of spiritual power and, and traveling to them and different things. And I was like, see, in some ways our culture says no, but then we embrace it. Um, there's infatuation with it because in our hearts we know there's a reality. There's more than just the physical here and now. There is a spiritual realm, and it is something we should be aware of. And Paul speaks of it. So we're to remember these things. And there is evidence of that. I've seen it in different times, in different times in ministry or overseas or in camp ministry where it's more overt, uh, but there's a lot of ways where um, just the lies of the enemy come in. I think that's the greatest attack upon us in all sorts of different ways. And I, I believe that the devil loves to see the image bearers of God suffer. And we see that in different ways, just lies. Even you think of governmental lies in, in all across the world where where governments are do things that, that just destroy people. Even, um, well, there's just so many of different, different things that I've seen living in China uh, and the different rules and things that come down. They're not for the good of the people, but the people just suffer. And even culturally, there's things that are part of our culture, which we might hold to as truth, but really they're, they're not truth at all. Um, they're lies. Even just one, and when we were in, in Asia, we saw one of the... Um, values in their culture often is a greater fidelity of of a guy um, a husband he's supposed to have a greater fidelity to his mom and his and his parents than he is to his wife a greater loyalty to them there's not that leave and cleave but we saw it just wrecking marriages all the time um, because of that because there is uh, a disconnect between husband and wife because of that. And I, I, Satan just loves that, uh, loves those things. Even there's things with high, strange hygiene things where they would have different customs, even in, in Ecuador. If you got sick, you don't, you don't wash your hands. Um, at that, and that, well, that, not everyone believes that, but there was a certain people, I, I remember well, there was a house helper uh, for one of our missionaries and she was wearing rubber gloves doing dishes. Like, I was like, that wasn't normal. She doesn't normally do that. She, she, they said, well, she has a cold, and she said she couldn't get her hands wet because she has a cold. So we said, well, let's have her wear gloves. She's like, okay, I can do that. But, but I think that's just, like, destructive. You know, don't wash your hands when you have a cold. Satan's like, woohoo! <laughs> I want to see you suffer. I just, just little ways where 
there's just lies of, of culture, things that, that creep in. And there's so many more in our culture that are destroying even just our young people, just ravaging them. And Satan just loves that destruction. I'm sure he rejoices in it. But the Bible speaks about Satan as a deceiver in Revelation 12, 9, leading the whole world astray. Revelation 8, 44, he's the father of lies. Revelation 12, 12, he, he knows his time is ultimately short, and he's defeated, though. Um, we think of, of that even, even, well, let me just read 1 John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he's a liar, he's a sinner, he wants to pull us away from God, but ultimately through Christ he is defeated. And that's his end, but he, he seeks to also cause us to doubt God's word and doubt God's goodness from the very beginning in Genesis. Just think of his lies to Eve. Don't, did God really say, did he really say this? Don't, uh, is he, you're not going to die. Um, he just doesn't want you to be like him. And this cause of doubt that floods in. or He sought, even with Christ, when Jesus was in the desert and he was tempted, he tried to, to twist God's word um, and use it against um, Christ. But Christ knew the word a little better than Satan. And we also see in Job that God allows um, Satan to, to tempt and to bring some trials into the life of Job so that ultimately, though, so that Job would grow in his faith and his knowledge of God and God continues to grow and use him. In Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it talks about us how once when we were apart from Christ that we followed after the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, who really des- desires to destroy and lead people away from Christ. He said, we used to be part of that camp when we didn't know Christ. Or 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That picture of, of just that lion. And that's often, sometimes as I pray, I'll pray, Lord, just shut the mouth of the lion in, in this situation or in that situation. Or on Sunday mornings, Lord, may you just... Uh, be, may you reign and shut the, the mouth of the lion who loved to just lead us astray. But he is defeated. Satan is defeated. I've already read this in Ephesians 1, 20 through 22 already and spoke about it, that all of those authorities and powers and dominions, that Christ is over all of them, and they're all ultimately under his feet, defeated. So we can be reminded of that, defeated. So stand firm. And how are we to stand firm? We stand firm by putting on the armor of God. Stand firm by putting on this armor of God. So let's read that. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you have extinguished, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
So we have this description of this armor, this armor of God, and really it's God's armor, the armor that God provides for us, and we're called to put it on. And it means, these are means of God's grace, this armor. And a lot of these pieces of the armor, all of them point us back to the gospel, point us back to Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And we're called just to be reminded of these things. And they're connected here, we're going to see, with the finished work of Jesus. It was, you think, of, of truth and righteousness and gospel of peace and salvation and his word and even prayer. They all point us back to Jesus and his finished work on the cross. So we stand in the truth of the gospel as we put on the armor of God. And I think also as we put on this armor, it's, it's putting into practice Paul's call Remember, he's told us in Ephesians 1, 5, chapter 1, I'm sorry, I've got okay, chapter 5, verse 1, um, he says, be imitators of God. And this is one of the ways we be, be imitators. We put on these truths. We think on them and we, we, we meditate on them and we are reminded of them and we walk in them. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And also I think of how in chapter 4, Paul says to, to put on, to put off the old self and put on the new. This is some of those practical ways we can think about that. And the first one, he says, is to put on that belt of truth. Again, although I'm not wearing um, the, the Roman soldier outfit that you wanted me to wear today, just pretend. So the Roman soldier, he would, have been, he would have had a belt that we would have put on. He would have probably been wearing a tunic. And when you get into battle, you got you to gotta gird up that tunic and put it in your belt so you can run and not be hindered. And the truth, truth keeps us from from tripping and being stumbled up, but it helps us stand firm when we think about truth and we need God's truth. We need to go back to God's truth again and again. We need God's word, which we're going to talk about as well in just a little bit. So the belt of truth. And even, I think, as you think of these things, these are things, even every morning, as you're, even if you don't wear a belt, but you're getting dressed, you think, okay, I need to put on God's truth. This Even this morning, I was kind of thinking through those things. I was like, it's kind of a little helpful. So, so as we think about these things, so the truth of God's word. Now, as we look at each of these, as we look at each of these elements, I think it's important to look back into Ephesians and look at the, the different verses and ways that he speaks about truth. So Ephesians 1, verse 13. Let me read that. In him, in Christ... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So it talks about the truth, the word of truth, which is the gospel. We need to put on, we need to be reminded of the victory that we have in Christ and forgiveness that comes through him. Ephesians four fifteen through 25, it speaks about our verse 15 and verse 25. It speaks about speaking the truth in love one to another. We need to speak the, the gospel to one another. We need to, to look in God's word and speak those words of truth to one another. We need to speak truth. We need to be a people of truth that speak truth rooted in God's word. Ephesians 4, 20 through 21. But this is not the way you learn Christ. So this is the point where he's talking to those who are, are kind of falling away and following after passions of this world. And he reminds them, hey, that's not, that's not where you began. That's not the gospel. That's not how you learn Christ. In verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him, heard about Christ, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So he talks about how in Christ and the gospel you learn, you were taught, you grow. 
This is all in the truth of the gospel. And Satan would just love to destroy the truth of the gospel and God's word. Truth really is under attack in our day. Just grounded truth Amen. is being rejected. It's under attack. So we need to know what, what truth is. And it's interesting. This week I, I heard a commentary um, by um, John Stone Street, who is the director, or I forget his title, but of the Colson um, ministry. And he was just, he talks a lot about cultural things going on. And he just mentioned how we live in a time where we have infinite ways to distract. I mean, just infinite ways to be distracted. And just all these infinite ways of immediate gratification. But as a culture, we have lost meaning and purpose. And I would add in truth. We've lost meaning and purpose and truth. We have infinite ways to be distracted and to find immediate gratification, but we don't have purpose and truth, and it's wrecking our culture that's, that's confused and broken and distraught and angry because there's a loss of purpose and meaning. Yeah, you can amuse yourself to death, but it leads to death. So truth is needed. We need to be a people that speak truth from God's word, uh, not, not rooted in a political party, but rooted in God's word, right? That's where we begin. Um, and we need to be a people who speak the gospel, people of truth. So we need to put that on in the morning. Click, click. <laughs> put on the breastplate of righteousness as well. And quite a few of these references, Paul is clearly pulling from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. And there's these prophecies, that prophecy of Messiah to come, of Jesus who came and fulfilled these things. And this is Isaiah 59, 17 that speaks of the breastplate of righteousness. It says, he put on, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. We'll get to that in a little bit. And we do, we do find great strength and help and stability. I think one of the elements of this righteousness is that righteousness of Christ, that he died in our place. He took upon our sins willingly died for us and willingly gave us his righteousness when we trust in him. And there is a great comfort and stability when we look to the righteousness of Christ, that we are made right before a holy God because of what Christ has done. And, and I think that that's got to be an element of it. But I would have said at one time that was the only meaning was that righteousness of Christ. But as I studied this week and looked at the different ways that Paul speaks about righteousness... He also speaks about our walking in righteousness, walking in holiness, and we're to walk in that way. And that, that's an element of that breastplate of righteousness. So let's look at how Paul uses righteousness in Ephesians already. This is Ephesians 4, verse 24. He says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says, even clothe yourself with, with holiness and righteousness. That's what it means we're called to walk according to the standard of Christ, to walk like Jesus. And we are. We're, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We're forgiven by him. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're already made alive and seated with Christ, once dead in sin, but now alive in him, once slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. We are new creations new creatures and creations in Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. That's 1 Corinthians 5, 17. So we're called now to, to walk in holiness too, to walk as Jesus walked and live as Jesus lived and not giving Satan a foothold in our life through sin. 
Paul in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, remember, he calls us to be angry and not sin and not let the sun go down on your anger, not giving, giving no opportunity to the devil. It's one, one example of that, of putting away sin so that Satan doesn't get a foothold there. So we're called to walk in holiness. Think of Ephesians 5, 7 through 9 that called us to, if you remember, to walk as children of the light. We're called to be those who walk, not according to darkness, but now according to light. Walk as children of light. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, Paul has said. So put on this new self. So we're called, we need to remember to walk in holiness. This is a quote from John MacArthur in his commentary. He says, the church today is often guilty of supplying believers with paper armor of good advice, programs, activities, techniques, and methods when what they need is godly armor of holy living. No program, method, or technique can bring holiness and happiness to the believer who is unwilling to confront and forsake his sin. So we need to confront and, and forsake our sin and walk in holiness. Remember that we're made righteous in him, in Christ, but still walk in that. So put on that breastplate of righteousness. Again, we, we said before when we, when we talked about putting off and putting on, if you're a, a, in jail as a prisoner and you're released, you don't keep wearing that prison uniform, right? You change out of it. So put on that breastplate of righteousness. And then verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So footwear is important, right? If you're going into battle, um, you don't want to go... F- Barefoot, I don't anyways. I don't go anywhere barefoot. My kids like to run around barefoot, but I don't get it. I can't do it. So that was, that's not in here anyway. That was a side note. Ephesians 52.7. Again, pulling from Ephesians, Paul. How beautiful upon the mountains. This is again a verse speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So this is a picture of a Messiah coming with good news, with the gospel. And Jesus is one who brought great good news and brought peace. Remember in Ephesians 2, 13 through 18, it, it spoke about the peace of Christ. Let me just read some of those verses. Again, we want to anchor all of this into what Paul has been already teaching. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing well of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And here he is speaking of, if you remember, there are Jews and Gentiles, there are different cultures and different people who are all brought together as one through Christ and making reconciliation uh, uh, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we have Christ that came in, and he was our peace. He came and died, made it, making us right with God and right with others. And the gospel is a gospel of peace. And we're called to be a people who have experienced peace, who have been forgiven, who've received the grace of Christ. And we're called to be those who carry that peace, who carry the gospel. And putting on shoes, and this idea involves walking as well, and moving, and marching, and going. So we need to be ready to go. 
Be ready to speak. Be ready to share the gospel. And be ready to experience the joy when we're able to share of Jesus. Every time we speak of the gospel, it is an act of spiritual warfare. But we are those who go and to be those who, who also have the beautiful feet of those who carry the gospel in different places. And then verse 16. Verse 16. We have the shield of faith. In all circumstances, in all things, take up that shield of faith in which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil ones. You take up that shield. I read different descriptions. Even, I don't think I even came across it in these, um, recently, this past week, but the idea that maybe that Roman shor- sor- or shield was that made a, had a leather um, exterior that they could get wet, and when flaming arrows would come, it hit that that shield and be extinguished. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes for a good picture. But we have the idea they have a shield that's a defense against the lies of Satan that just wants to destroy and pull down and discourage and cause you to doubt who God is. So our faith, um, what is it anchored into? What's well, anchored into truth of God's word? It's anchored into the gospel. It's anchored into all of these things that Paul has been teaching us in Ephesians. Let me just remind you of a few. In Ephesians 1, we're chosen to be holy and blameless through Jesus, adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus, according to the pleasure of our God. We're redeemed, we're rescued, we're bought by the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven according to the great riches of our God. We're Ephesians 1, 18 through 20, having the eyes of our heart enlightened that you may know what the hope is. We've talked about this, read that the hope that we have, the, the glorious inheritance that we have, and the magnitude of the love of God that's so great that we need His help even to comprehend it. And then Ephesians 2, 7 through 9, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. These are things that we anchor our faith into. We take these verses and these truths and we, we shield against attacks where Satan says, oh, you're worthless. No, no, you're alone. No, I'm forgiven. Ephesians 3, 12 through 13, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. We have boldness and confidence that we can enter the throne room of our God in prayer. We remember we take up these truths and we rest in faith. It's not just knowledge, but placing our life in them. And they extinguish the flames of the arrows. Some of the flames of the arrows, or some of the flaming arrows of the enemy might be sickness, uh, might be cancer, might be loss of job, Maybe loss even of a relationship or marriage, a death in the family, or just doubt or discouragement, fear and anxiety that just creeps in. And the flame, of, or the arrow, the enemy, I think, is, is that of God doesn't care. He doesn't care about you. He clearly doesn't care about you. This would not happen. And I think of the story, Jesus knew that that would be an attack of the enemy. And we have this story talked about a few weeks ago in the gospel, gospel of Mark chapter four, where again, the Jesus and the disciples there in the boat, that huge storm comes up and Jesus is oversleeping and they're like, Jesus, and they go to him. This is what they see. Teacher, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? I think sometimes we feel that way. Do you not care? But the truth is that Christ is with us and his, his power is made great in our weakness, it says. So we need to embrace sometimes our weakness, knowing that the strength of Christ can rest upon us. Say, Jesus, may you rest upon me. May you be my strength now. And that's standing in faith. And sometimes, though, those arrows might be um, a promotion with prominence. Oh. It might be a new home. It might be fame. It might be prominence or success in your industry that you're in where you begin to be like, ah, I got this. I got this. Uh, I don't need the Lord so much. Or Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we even throw off some of those things. Those can be arrows that distract us away from God. Pick up the shield of faith. And this week, even I I mentioned how I came in on Monday morning, just discouraged. And I needed these truths to put these on and be reminded of who my God is and who he's called me to be and the forgiveness and hope that I have in him and, and take up that shield of faith and push back the lies of the enemy. And then verse 17, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. Put on that helmet of salvation. And this is a salvation that we've already have. If we've trusted in Christ, we've turned from our sins and trusted in him. He's given us new life and we are rescued and we are saved. Let's be reminded of some of those things. We've spoken about them and read them. And let me read again from Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Our Ephesians 2, 8, we read it once. We can read it again. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. We're reminded we're to put on that truth of the gospel or the salvation. Well, the gospel, but that we're saved, we're rescued. But also 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. Paul in, in that book, in that letter, speaks about this helmet as well. So listen to this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation the hope of salvation that we also have a hope of a day when christ will return and he will make all things right for god has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we might live with him therefore encourage one another and build one another up so we're to be reminded of the, the salvation to come and not be discouraged. First Peter 5, 10 through 11. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. So that, that's putting on the hope of salvation that yes, I'm wrestling now, but the Lord will restore, he'll support, he will strengthen. He'll place me ultimately, eternally in a, on a firm foundation. All power be to our God. And then um, finally, this is the last one we're going to do. Right? We're going to do prayer and stuff later because clearly I've gone, uh, there's just no way I could have covered it all today. Um, 
really probably could do a sermon for each one, but I didn't want to drag it out that far. So verse 17, we have the sword of the Spirit. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you've probably noticed already, um, we've been taking up that sword of the Spirit throughout this whole sermon, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. And that's what we're called to do, take up God's Word. It is an offensive and a defensive weapon. We need God's truth. And how do we know about the truth? We go to God's word. How do we know about our righteousness? We go to God's word. How do we know about the gospel? We go to God's word. How do we know about the salvation? We go to God's word. You need to go again and again and again to scripture. We think of Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. He went to God's word, the word of the Father, and attacked the, and, and, and came against that attack of Satan with God's word. I think of 2 Timothy 3.16 that speaks about God's word. All scripture, it's God breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correcting, for tra- reproof and correction and training in righteousness. The man of God, may, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we need God's word. We need to be in God's word. And we need to be transformed by it. We need to be reading it, listening to it, and memorizing it. We need the word of God. So we need to, to just daily, maybe as you get dressed in the morning, just think about the righteousness of Christ and walking in, in his righteousness. Think about truth. Think about salvation. Think about the gospel. Be reminded and just come against those attacks of Satan. Go again and again to truth. I'm going to close with a quote from, from Martin Luther. He's, he's taking this and he's bringing an attack back to Satan. He says, when the devil throws our sins up to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means. For I know one who suffered and made a satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there I shall be also. Let's pray. Dear Father God, I pray that you would help us. Uh, Maybe today we feel weak. Uh, We feel beat up. Uh, Maybe in a lot of different ways. Lord, help us to be strong in Jesus, in the strength of Jesus. Help us to recognize that, that you take weaknesses and, and you display your power and your strength. And Lord, I pray in our weaknesses that, that the strength of Christ might rest upon us today. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are not unaware of the attacks of Satan, who just loves to see us suffer, loves to see image bearers of the king suffer. And I I pray that you would help us to counteract those lies with the truth of your word, with the truth of the gospel, with the truth of our salvation and our rescue in Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people who encourage one another and fight alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder, as we meet together, as we gather, as we study your word and in smaller groups and DNA groups and community groups and Bible study groups. And as we gather here on Sundays, we go to coffee together, as we eat together. Lord, help us to be a people that bind together with that peace of the gospel that has brought us all one in him, we pray. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we made it through. It was a long, a long go. <laughs>